Hello, and welcome back to the podcast, um, episode 58. Uh, just a note to our readers, we are now called ARC, a Tolkien podcast. Yeah. Um, this we've, is because We've always been called ARC. What are you talking about? Well, at one point, we received a strongly worded letter <laughs> from NPR that we were to cease and desist from calling ourselves all rings considered. Can we even say that phrase? Is that like, can we say the we phrase? We certainly on here? can. Okay. We can, it's not that we're not called that anymore. Um, and we have ceased and desist being called that. But we can certainly, I mean, it's true that we are, were at one point called all rings mm. considered and we have changed. So do with that what you will. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Let's talk about this though, because this is great. This just happened. This week I get. Just me, by the way, because Pip, as we know, this is secretly <laughs> my podcast. I don't, you know, um, don't know if you knew that or not, but just throwing it out there. So just me. I'm just a funny voice that Charlie makes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a character that he does. Um, yeah, that's why if, you, if we ever do a live tour of this podcast, it's it's you know it's me it's and the puppet and the, <laughs> <laughs> the Pip puppet talking back and forth. The so so I, I get this letter you know, sent FedEx overnight, you know, certified mail or something like this, right? I have to sign for it telling me, just me, that we have to change the name of the podcast because NPR holds a copyright for all blank considered. So anything that's all blank considered, apparently NPR owns that and we're not allowed to use it. And this is really funny to me because one, how many people listen to this podcast? <laughs> like five or something, who knows? I'm sure it can't be massive. Please tell your friends. Please tell your friends. Yeah. Also, yeah NPR <laughs> still found us. So uh, also, we've been doing this for close to two years. We're getting close, closest to that. We're closer to two years than a year and a half, I think, at this point. Um, yeah. And we have like six episodes left out of <laughs> like a 64-episode series, and now they hit us? Bullshit. But here we are. So I- Here yeah. we are. I, you know what, I respect it. I get their reasoning. I understand it. Even though we're not making any money off this, even though you'd have to be an absolute moron <laughs> to think we were affiliated with NPR and not just kidding. But you know what? We decided, all right, we'll change the name. We'll be nice. But I, I will say, Pip, I, I appreciate it. Uh, we had a big show support from some of our friends. We had a lot of good recommendations or suggestions. Yes, we rather. did for what to change the name to. And I think these are great. We, we, we strongly considered all these. We got to read some of these. So we could have named this to Fresh Aragorn. It's a good call. Mm. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, it's very unique. And, yeah. Uh... We could do Wraith, Wraith, Don't Tell Me. Classic. I think that's one. very original. I think mm -hmm. that's classic. No, no copyright infringement there. Uh, variant on that, we could do White, White, Don't Tell Me. White as in W-I-G-H-T. Uh, Isn't it Wigget? Wigget. Wicked wicks don't tell me. Uh, we could do LOTR talk, which I like that one. Planet Moria, I like that. It's a good one. I, I got Mordor edition was texted to me. Okay. <laughs> uh, last one here. This last one actually isn't an NPR one. So this is good, but I did like uh, you talking you two to me. <laughs> I think oh yeah. Really <laughs> uh, that one because you see, I don't think Scott and Scott wouldn't send us a season. The Scotts would have appreciated that, that. They would have appreciated yeah. that. Uh, yeah, so thank you all for the recommendations. We decided to go with uh, ARC, A-R-C. Like a story ARC. Yeah. Because, you know, if we do a Silmarillion, if we do a Silmarillion um, uh, segment, 
then that wouldn't be about rings. And so, you know, that'd be well, about the symbols. A lot of it wouldn't yeah. be about. Yeah. Exactly, right. Yeah. Well, in, in ARC, of course, as you know, it stands for nothing, even though it's mm-hmm. in all caps. Just it's like know, If there are any KFC. lawyers listening out there, ARC stands for nothing. It's just in all caps because we're yelling it. We're really excited. And so we're shouting ARC from the rooftops. Yes. Uh, so please don't send us another letter. Uh, tell your friends. <laughs> please tell your friends about the show. <laughs> um, yeah. So all right, let's get started, though, with our final yes. six episodes here. Um so we are on episode 58. Uh, that is book six, chapter five, The Steward and the King. This is actually um, a long chapter, so I'll do my best to be concise for the summary. It is morning in Gondor, and no one has heard anything for several days about what has happened to the host that went out to meet Sauron. And so Eowyn, the uh, story starts with her, and she is has been healing for a couple days, and um, she decides, ah, she is all done with healing, and she doesn't want to heal anymore, and she gets up and talks to to complain that she wants to do something. Um, she eventually meets up with Faramir, and Faramir and Eowyn are both healing, and they have some conversations about you know, what is their responsibility to do at this point in time since they can't really do much? And they spend several days together uh, talking and just spending time uh, looking outside the city walls. And uh, they bond. And uh, as they're doing this, an eagle comes um, and it announces to the city of Gondor that Sauron is defeated. And for a time, Eowyn uh, still feels feels grim feels uh like a shadow is upon her still um but then uh she and uh faramir their love is sparked and they get engaged um and she feels better um so then uh it kind of switches to the point of view of the people of gondor and aragorn returns and there's a crowning ceremony and frodo brings him the crown and gandalf places it on his head and there's a discussion about sort of the uh future of gondor and how it uh thrives and and does well Aragorn does some things. He makes peace with the Harad and he frees slaves. Um, Baragon gets promoted. And then the last part of this chapter is Gandalf brings, well, there's two last parts. One is Gandalf brings Aragorn to a high up place in the mountains and Aragorn discovers a child tree uh, that is descended from one of the um, eldest trees in Middle-earth. Well, eldest trees in this whole um, yeah, really, uh, whole world, area, huh? this yeah. whole the whole world, right? So, um, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And then Aragorn has a surprise for everybody. He has been asking people to from the Fellowship to stay in Gondor um, for a little while longer. And then it turns out Aragorn was keeping them there for his wedding, and he has a surprise wedding. And that's where it ends. Yeah. Like you said, actually, so, wow, there's a lot long chapter. Yeah. Yes. Can I just say I want to start by just talking about the, these these all these post ring chapters. Why it's important Tolkien's doing this. Mm-hmm. We mentioned last episode that it's just satisfying at the end of this long book to get everything tied up, every loose end resolved, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it's also important to to understand that this book is not just about a war, uh, but it's about what happens after the war and how you come home from the war. So these chapters to me are extremely important. It is extremely important that we get to see this. And we get to see um, a lot of the good things that happen at the end of a war. 
which I think is what this chapter is most concerned with. But as we right. talked about last episode too, there are some things that aren't super great. We talked last episode about sort of the intense alienation that coming back from a war might cause within you, right? To see the world that you've saved. And is that really the world you relate to? We'll, we'll talk more about that as well throughout the rest mm-hmm. of these chapters. But yeah, it's, it's very important to see both these things. I think that is one of the geniuses of the Lord of the Rings, right? That, that it is concerned with with that yes. theme as well, not just war's over, great. It's all good. It's, yeah. it's all good. Yeah. I, I think there are, I, I agree with you, there are arcs, huh? Name of the uh, podcast. Yeah. Um, That's why that, we call it get, that, guys. Come yes. on. Jeez. <laughs> um, got, that get wrapped up here that are worthwhile, and th- it's it's important. We'll see when, with Eowyn and Faramir that their, their greatest challenge was not the Battle of Sauron. There's something bigger, um, something more important than just the the battle of the day. Yes. Um, yes. And I think uh, that's something you can take away. You can take away from this chapter in particular, but um, I think that is part of the theme of Lord of the Rings, that there is always, there is always a conflict, right? There's always a um, mm. choices to be made, but this is, uh, their story is, continues through it's not just over when sauron falls yeah and there's always conflict because as we saw with the uh, the the famous line a few episodes back we talked about the greatest line in the book the star but mm-hmm. the, the, the shadow then is only a small passing thing and there's light and high beauty forever beyond its reach that star is ultimately still way up there right so we don't live among the stars in the metaphorical sense right so we defeat sauron yeah but that does not mean we are done with death and conflict and uh, yeah, I think it's really important that Tolkien does want to show that uh, we are not going to get a, just a happy ending because that's not how the world works on this really fundamental level. Tolkien believes mm-hmm. on a sort of almost spiritual level. We are not in that world. It, that world exists, right? Like in, in Tolkien's view in, in, in within Middle Earth, that, that world does exist out there, right? Rep- as represented by the star, but that's not this world. Right. Um, before we get into anything specific, I just want to mention... Something I find so genius about this chapter is the way that it weaves in and out of perspectives. So the perspective um, from which the story is told in this chapter starts with Eowyn, and then she meets Faramir, and the story switches to be from the perspective of Faramir, um, and they get their time together. And then um, there's kind of like a second part to the chapter where it starts from the perspective of everyone. Um, so sort of like if you're just a neutral observer from Gondor. Um, so it's, and then, then it's a uh, perspective of Aragorn as the king. And lastly, um, just at the very end, uh, you get Frodo um, and it's Frodo's perspective just for the last, last couple paragraphs, which leads into the next chapter when it would be actually from the perspective of Frodo. So I think it's just brilliant how it does that. Yeah. But let's start with Eowyn. Yeah. Uh, I can start here. I think, what I really like about this storyline between Eowyn and Faramir is that they both are sort of this really just they are the distillation of two different ideologies in human form mm-hmm. coming together and moving into the future. Uh, Faramir represents, as we saw way back in book four, Faramir representing this idea that war is only valuable for that which it defends, right? 
uh, Farmer says back then, I do not love the arrow for its swiftness or whatever. Just I only love that which it defends. I only love mm-hmm. Gondor. I love my my country, my home, my people, whatever that is. Whereas Eowyn represents this um, medieval warrior ethos, right? She's from the Rohan, which is borrowing, borrowing a lot of Anglo-Saxon, Old English, um, Old Norse kind of ways of thinking, that sort of ancient Germanic way of thinking that just to die in battle is glorious. And right. uh, Farmer rejects that, right? He says it's it's not. Uh, what's what's glorious is defending the thing. That's what you have to love. Battle is awful. War is awful. And they come together. And Eowyn comes to see Farmer's point of view. This is the chapter. We, we talked about this with Becky Strapple when we had her on to talk about the Battle of Pelmore Fields in Book 5. We talked about there's a lot of criticism of Eowyn. And most of it comes from this chapter where Eowyn, after meeting Faramir after talking with Faramir after falling in love with Faramir rejects that warrior ethos and she says I'm going to become a healer mm-hmm. uh, this has been criticized as as Eowyn turning into a domestic role uh, basically accepting her place as a woman and that just simply is not what the text says right Eowyn yes, does not, definitely not become a housewife here Eowyn becomes a doctor and she does so because she is broken out of her way of thinking that battle is a good thing that fighting is a good thing that that's noble and glorious and that's not unrealistic that is an ideology that has existed in human history and been very powerful and motivated a lot of people and has motivated some of these characters in a lot of ways so that's a real thing her rejection of it is framed as the better choice mm-hmm. for people i do not think it has to do with anything about domestic versus it certainly does not have to do with her sex um right. and i think I think there, so Eowyn, it, you know, conspicuously uh, one of the only major female characters in The Lord of the Rings, and we talked about that. Yeah. Um, and it's important to talk about, right? Yeah. But I think there is also a trap where Eowyn is such a great character, and to miss out on her by only thinking of her as just a representation for women means right. that you miss out on her as herself. Yeah. Eowyn is such a great character, and her damage her sickness and the shadow that's upon her and the way that's healed in this chapter by finding something. So she, she has this desperation and let, let me read what she says to the, the healer that she is uh, her warden. So she makes actually a kind of a good argument here. She says, and those who have not swords can still die upon them. Would you have the folk of Gondor gather your herbs only when the dark Lord gathers armies? And is it not always good to be healed? And it is not always good to be healed in body, nor is it always evil to die in battle. And even in bitter pain, were I permitted in this dark hour, I would choose the latter. So she is obsessed with death and glory. Yes. Um, and, but, and I think that's, so it's something that, and she makes this character transition where she actually finds that there's something valuable about life, right? So it's not just winning, right? Um, but it, but there's something valuable about life to, you know, that, that makes it worthwhile. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, just to, to your point about the, uh, what, the healing thing being uh, sometimes, you know, yeah, perceived as like a step down from being a great warrior. Um, if you think <laughs> that right. in The Lord of the Rings, the character that is most esteemed is the one that kills the most. You have not been reading the same book. You just haven't. No, um, absolutely not. You yeah. just haven't. And even if this was the only chapter you read, Aragorn, as uh, in this chapter, he is. I mean, every description of Aragorn in this chapter describes how he is a king that is a healer, and how yes. that is the that is the capstone on his character. 
I just pulled out a couple. Yeah. Uh, the hands of the king are the hands of a healer. Another description. Victorious in battle, whose hands bring healing. The elf stone. More description of Aragorn. Then completely separate paragraph. And strength and healing were in his hands. Uh, like it's it's considered to be the most esteemable quality is to bring healing and life and restoration to the world. And yeah. Eowyn finds that ability through finding something to love about life. Mm-hmm. And as you said, yeah, here it's it's her gender is just not really playing much of a role in this chapter. And I think that's okay. I mean, it's okay for her to have a role beyond the token woman character in the book. Exactly. Uh, and that, 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 that part of her is not showing up here as much. Obviously, I'm not suggesting that she, oh, how should I put this? Like her identity as a woman character obviously is going to inform her and everything she does and it should inform us as readers all that kind of stuff i I just mean to say we do have some stuff here that is sort of i don't know somewhat separate from that from say uniquely women's issues in other words what she's talking about here is not a uniquely women's issue so to speak at all or even close right i mean this is a it's a a human it's a human issue it's a theme throughout the whole book among all the characters uh throughout so yeah I, i do i do reject the idea that Eowyn becoming a healer uh, is evidence of sort of anti-feminist or patriarchal or sexist themes. With that being said, I am not suggesting that there are not problematic aspects uh, concerning gender in The Lord of the Rings and even revolving around Eowyn herself. For one, and we talked about these in that episode we did. with Becky yeah. Strapple, and they're there. I am not trying to discount those. I'm trying to discount a very specific one, if you follow me, right? And that one is kind of important, though. Uh, especially so that we can make sense of that theme in the book as a whole. But I, I will absolutely admit, I mean, it's still problematic that Eowyn is your only female character in the book. Not literally, right? But obviously she's not literally the only woman, but she's, she may as well be. It's it's her and it's Galadriel. And that's, I think that's it, right? For speaking roles, right? Arwen doesn't speak. I don't think Rosie Cotton's going to end up speaking and she doesn't show it to the very end. It, it is a very small list. I guess Farmer Maggot's wife, I guess Goldberry. I mean, you do have a couple of small speaking roles here. Very minor. That sure. I am not going to like sit here and defend that. That is what it is. Furthermore, but this, this chapter. What? Oh, I was saying, but this chapter, Eowyn's role is her, specifically her character, not, I mean, it's her overcoming a bitterness. Yeah. But on yeah. that note, though, there there is something in this chapter that could be argued as somewhat, I don't know, potentially problematic. So, you know, it's worth saying that we, we get only two women characters. And of the two, one of them, Eowyn, gets a... Uh, romance arc right um right you know that is not the most progressive kind of writing uh since the majority of ma- the majority of our male characters don't and so to have 50 percent of your female characters do that because it is such a common trope that women that the women characters are going to be in a romantic arc so i i'm not saying i'm bothered by it yeah. necessarily i'm just saying like that 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 could absolutely be argued to be somewhat problematic and i totally get it and i also would say this that uh it is interesting you know again arguably somewhat problematic that Eowyn is implied, it is implied by Faramir that Eowyn's desire for this glorious death in battle is because Aragorn rejected her romantically. And that happens here on 964. I can read the line. Yeah, and I, I say yeah. implies there. Actually, that's, that's important. He implies it. All right. So let's listen, let's listen to um, the, the lines here. It says, <clears throat> When Aragorn gave you only understanding and pity, then you desired to have nothing unless a brave death in battle. And Eowyn looked at Faramir long and steadily, and Faramir said, etc., etc. He goes on to talk about some other things. 
Awen does not confirm what Faramir just said. That's important. She is not confirming that. I do not necessarily think we need to take Faramir's word as fact. In I don't even read it that way. Yeah, I, I, and I think that's fair too. Yeah, so yeah. I was about to say there is another reading of this. Go ahead. Yeah, um, what's that other reading? Well, I mean, maybe there's more, but uh, the way I read it is it's a, it's not a rejection romantically, but pity on not being not being what you desired yourself to be. So Awen desires to be, you know, the the most brazen, glory, you know, glorious uh, fighter who uh, fights, you know, evil. I mean, and she ended up does do this she does right? Do it, yeah um right but against aragorn's wishes right yeah but i think there's a a sense of just a the idea that uh you don't always get to choose what your responsibilities or your fate is and so there's like aragorn can be seen as him pitying her for that just not being her role whether yeah. that you know so her responsibility was something else um and that's just that well, was that was her life in right? aragorn yeah in aragorn rejected her not just romantically but also he rejected her to fulfill the role she wanted right, right. not romantic but the warrior role right she wanted to go fight and he said no um so so there's there's that element of it as well there's also just the element that i would argue is present in the book is which is that aowen seemed to have this desire sort of independently of aragorn yeah and a careful well, reading of what farmer says here does leave enough ambiguity for that right he says after the rejection you desire to have nothing unless a brave death in battle that unless does not necessarily mean a causal relationship right not inherently right. oh I mean, totally it could yeah. but th i think there's just enough ambiguity there and the fact that that is not confirmed that way of thinking is not confirmed by aon does leave enough room there to say that's not even what he meant but i do think even just on reading the text that's just not quite what happened i do not think based on the actions of the characters that Aowen only wanted that glorious death because she got her heart broken by a boy. Right. And even if that's what Far Faramir was saying, like just because Faramir thinks it doesn't mean he's right. Exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And he, it, and b before we get off the topic of Aowen, Charlie, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I will say I, you know, maybe counterpoint, I, I, I don't feel that there's an issue with, with the romance here, you know? So I think there is this, there's maybe an ultra modern sensitivity to romantic relationships mm -hmm. um, where certainly there are plenty of examples where criticism is rightly thrown, but I think that there can be, it can swing too far in the other direction where any sort of like romantic relationship is a problematic <laughs> and, uh, and that it's not always the case. I mean, like being in love with someone is like beautiful and a great reason to, live and uh you know yeah. many it's happened uh throughout the world many times and is a wonderful and lovely thing which i and, and i understand I, yeah. yeah i definitely understand that that take on to it and i agree i actually think and one thing i want to talk about with anyone here is i really enjoy her and farmer's relationship and their dynamic as how they fell in love etc i think right. it's really powerful i'm glad it is here but i also just i think you can't escape the fact that women characters throughout literature have often been sort of limited to having romantic relationships or that that's yeah, been their totally. focus. Uh, not that it even is Eowyn's focus, of course, right? But the, because of that context, it is hard to not see that Tolkien has only two women characters and of the two, one of them does have the romantic, does have a chapter dedicated to romantic relationship. So you're at like sort of 50% of your women characters involved in romantic relationships. 
I don't but, find it yeah, problematic personally, yeah. but I, I just yeah. I think that's fair. I think that's a fair point, right? That, and and I don't mean this in a way to necessarily. I, I I'm not saying the book needs to be thrown out or something. It, it's a product of its uh, time and attitudes, and uh, that's not a. I'm not saying it's a great thing, but you know it's worth mentioning, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, it's it's worth bringing up. I still see it as is good. I still see it as, as falling in love is is a reason to for life and it's like i, I agree beautiful it's and but um, you know maybe the the take there then is perhaps a more feminist lord of the rings has more of the men the male characters and their romantic relationships explored sure if you follow me yeah well I, here um, we get it with faramir yeah we do and actually yeah. so that let's let's chat about the rela- their faramir. relationship it is very i like it a lot i like that you know they they, they fall in love pretty quickly and uh not in a way though that seems unnatural to me, right? They think the world's about to end, but it's just, it's so sort of sweetly depicted, but there's also some interesting nuance to it. So I love the line of, I love the line where Farmer's asked Eowyn to join him in the garden for some walks every day. And she says, maybe, I don't know, whatever. Uh, and she just kind of goes off <laughs> on her own, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. she's angry. She is not being let out of the hospital, so to speak, to go fight. So she's kind of mad. And she doesn't really take him super seriously about that offer. So she's walking along. Uh, doing her own thing and it says for faramir uh will walk sort of after that day he walks alone in the garden she's not joining him right but it says his glance now strayed rather to the house than to the eastward walls the house mm-hmm. representing where Eowyn is the eastward walls representing where mordor's out on the horizon the men are out fighting uh and his glance i just like that that's just a nice subtle description of it right his, his just his glance his glance is yeah now more focused there and I think that's really nice. Yeah, his glance now stray, stray. It's one of those cool. <clears throat> his glance now straying. It's just one of these details that is so reflective of when you know they 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 say that uh, if you want to know who uh, people like or value the most, sort of look to see who they look at when, after say a joke is told when they're laughing. Who do they look at? That's usually a sign that that's the person they feel closest to, or something. There's a lot in that idea of just those little subtle things you do when you start having feelings for somebody, right? Uh, and that's what we're seeing here with this glance, right? His his glance to the to the house. So it's just such a cool human detail that I like quite a bit. Uh, and I really love this dynamic too, where Faramir calls her out on her own sort of like Eowyn almost doesn't want to resolve her own conflicts right her own internal conflicts and emotional conflicts and I love this line where Faramir says to her do you not love me or will you not I like that that's a cool yeah uh mm. way of framing yes. it right I mean are you are you are you not in love with me that's not that's absolutely possible or is this a case where you are choosing to stay angry at the world and angry at your fate um, mm-hmm. and I, I like that he kind of, he calls her on her bullshit a little bit, right? That not just her emotional bullshit, like toward him, but rather that, that is reflective of her own, uh, problems with the life in the world and in her own, the, her own lacking philosophy, right? Which ultimately that her warrior ethos is, right? It is ultimately lacking. It is ultimately not very satisfying. And right. He's, because he's I mean, out. she yeah. personally did accomplish. So, you know, she wanted a great battle and glory and she got that um she did do what no like one yeah. of the most the greatest feats in this book she probably 
you know is up there killing uh the the witch king i mean it's insane right and still she's like she can't move on um she has to fight right and then i wrote down that uh i wrote down that uh they're getting together is an answer to the question what is healing yeah um they both find i mean they spend time together and they find uh a reason to participate in life Mm. which is great and it it's when it's being described there's a lot of um polysyndeton it's a lot of sentences with a lot of ands in them Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and a lot of just you know long sentences with big descriptions that kind of just get you sort of this feeling of just getting just getting through it just spending time with another human or hobbit whatever but you know um, just spending time with someone and like participating in life i wrote down this something i just rended my own heart um -hmm. was um they are both standing on a wall and there's this gloom about about the world uh, in the sky. And I'll just read the paragraph. It starts with Faramir speaking. And he says, Yes, we wait for the stroke of doom, said Faramir. And they said no more. And it seemed to them as they stood upon the wall that the wind died and the light failed and the sun bleared and all sounds in the city or in the lands were hushed. Neither wind nor voice, no bird call, nor rustle of leaf, nor their own breath could be heard. The very beating of their hearts stilled. Time halted. And as they stood so, their hands met and clasped, though they did not know it. And still they waited for they do, uh, and still they waited for they knew not what. And I just, that's, it smote me. Yeah. Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's a great line. Great moment. Yeah. So um, I don't have anything else uh, specifically for, I mean, we could talk about Faramir and Erwin forever. um, Yeah. But we must move on. Unless you have yes. something else. No, I'm good. Yeah. Okay. So as I mentioned, um, we went from Eowyn's perspective to switch over to Faramir's perspective. Um, and then it actually kind of comes into a perspective of anyone from from Gondor. Just a if you're a citizen of Gondor, this is this is how you're feeling. Um yeah. uh the king returns. And one thing I will I want to mention you you have talked about many times about how the lord of the rings is not a it is not a uh advocating it is not a traditionalist book right right yeah like you might mistake it for one because it's a book that was written before you were born and you know it yeah. deals with kings and you know um and it, it uh, will co-opt themes, it right? will co-opt that kind of language too right totally we see it in this chapter and, a lot that the gondorians will speak very archaically and elevated stuff and yeah yeah, and it's, it definitely has um, themes. It deals with themes that that humans have been dealing with for a long time. Um, but one of the things I wanted to mention, maybe maybe you noticed this too, is the crowning of Aragorn is different than the traditional crowning. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a custom that the kings uh, should receive the crown from his father uh, ere he died. Um, yeah. But uh, things must now be done otherwise, is what it says. And so the crowning was done in a different fashion. So Frodo actually brings Aragorn the crown and Gandalf is the one that sets it upon his head. Yeah. It's worth noting that Faramir wants to do it, right? Or offers to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Aragorn turns him down and says he wants Frodo and Gandalf to do that. So that's kind of just a neat detail. Uh, Faramir being the good guy that he is, totally okay with that and on board with it. You can't imagine Denethor doing that. Uh, so no, no, no. It's no. an important moment. 
some i mean i mentioned kind of the summary but some cool things happen um baragond gets a promotion um yeah so he he receives his judgment for his crime right so he abandoned yeah. his we remember he abandoned his post because of his love for uh faramir and aragorn sits in judgment of him and he says that well he, he kind of hits him with kind of like the the one two sort of thing they do on like cooking shows where he says ah he is you know he's absolved of his crime but he must go into exile but it's exile because he's going with Faramir, who he's going to be his captain of his uh, white guard, or, or um, and uh, so good for Baragon. Yeah, it's it's nice to see. I totally forgot he existed until this uh, moment. So, well, you haven't been listening to our podcast, Ark, a Lord of the Re- a Tolkien podcast. A Tolkien podcast. Yeah, it's a great name. I should listen to that podcast. You should. Yeah. Tell your friends. Please tell your friends. <laughs> Um, we get this really cool uh, scene of Gandalf and Aragorn. It just—it's—it's it's one of those things that's kind of random, but in just the perfect way. Mm-hmm. That's they—they they go hiking and yeah, they discover Gandalf points out. Well, they're having a conversation about. Um, Gandalf mentions that the end of the Third Age has happened, and now the elder um, elder kindred shall go away, and should be only uh, the race of men. So no more elves. No more wizards, no more dwarves. And Aragorn is asking about how to deal with it without Gandalf's counsel. And Gandalf kind of points out that, oh, hey, what's that over there? And Aragorn finds a tree or a sapling of of an ancient line. Um, so it's actually descendant from Telperion, which is basically um, the moon. So there is this two great trees, uh, Telperion, and actually it was, it was kind of a silver tree. And there was a golden one, I forget its name. But uh, the fruit of which, that's where the moon came from, from the silver tree, Tilperion. So Aragorn finds this, this seed and, or this sapling, and he takes a, a fruit of it or seed and plants it, and a tree starts to grow in Gondor. So there's this renewal theme happening. But I, I like it. It's, just, it's weird enough that it's, it feels mm-hmm. like you're actually reading myth because there's always this, something kind of weird. Yeah, it's like yeah. a weird tree thing. And their fixation on the tree, it's right? Like, oh, I mean, they went for a hike. It's great. So much of this is prompted by Aragorn complaining that the dead tree that they've been guarding that for you know generations on generations or whatever still hasn't come back. And then they get this new one, and yeah, it's kind of like okay, well, so why is that important? But uh, well, uh, you know, I I read it as like yes, the tree isn't going to come back; it's dead. Yeah, it, and it just won't. So there's it's it's the old things are not just here again it's that there has to be something new you had to plant a new tree and it's gonna it ain't gross absolutely i so, mean i think that yeah the symbol of it is incredibly important right so so it might come across as this weird thing why are these people fixated as a culture on this tree but you know the symbol is very clear right what that tree represents really right you know it's it's a cool moment i actually really like that that scene where they go to that they go hiking into the mountains it's just neat and it that's feels, what you and i would do it is yeah it actually just it does I don't know. It reminds me of that like the description here where they, they've gone up there and it says that uh, they saw the towers of the city far below them, like white pencils touched by the sunlight and all the veil of Anduin was like a garden and the mountains of shadow were veiled in a golden mist. It's just really, it's a really cool feeling. I think. Yeah. Very hiking. What else you got? Um, well, I mean, I was going to wrap up a little bit. We, okay. The, one Go last, ahead, you got something? yeah. Well, just one last quick note to build on the theme you mentioned earlier. Aragorn as healer, 
it is worth noting Aragorn's sort of political agenda gets described in the broadest of strokes in this chapter. And it's just, it's an agenda purely of peace, right? He pursues peace all throughout. He, all the people who fought for Mordor, you know, they're free. You're good. He makes these, peace with the Haradrim. He makes peace with the Haradrim and the Easterlings and like peace, peace, right? Um, he, all the slaves that Sauron was said to have had, Aragorn frees them. It gives them all the land. And yeah, it's just 100% about peace. No revenge, no aggression, no hostility, just peace. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it really comes through, especially some of the things that descriptions of, uh, yeah, Aragorn's policies and some of the things that are talk, spoken about him, sort of like from the master, or I'm sorry, the um, uh, the healer uh, in the beginning of the chapter who cared for Eowyn. I think a lot of comes through about how Tolkien feels about how things should be, <laughs> right? You can't avoid that Tolkien has uh, opinions about war. Yeah. Having personally experienced them. Yeah. Yeah, and then very end of the chapter, um, there's a surprise wedding and... Well, you get a little bit from Frodo's perspective, right? Uh, Frodo has an interesting perspective here that is more hopeful, like toward the end of the chapter at least, more hopeful and happier than he was last chapter and that he's going to be too in chapters to come. So, Charlie, did you have a favorite line of this chapter? I do, uh, and it's actually about Frodo's attitude Oh wow! at the end. Uh, so when Arwen has come and Frodo sees her and he you know, sees the, the wedding and stuff, he's, he says to Gandalf, uh, this is the ending. Now not day only shall be beloved, but night too shall be beautiful and blessed, and all its fear pass away. And it's this just nice moment of understanding for Frodo, this idea that, that night in all its negative connotations in a way is actually a good thing too. There, there's, a, there's beauty to that, right? That's mm-hmm. necessary. It's a nice way to put it. It's interesting, yeah. and it's interesting. Like I said, that for, it, it's a very hopeful sounding kind of Frodo here that we didn't really see last episode, and we are not really going to see again uh, in these chapters. Uh, no doubt, sort of triggered by seeing Arwen and everything she represents as sort of the peak of the elves, right? But she said to be the most beautiful creature on the earth. Yeah. Uh, but how about you? Favorite line? Favorite line. Yes. So, favorite line. It's a little bit more than a line, but I'll read it anyway. It is description of Faramir and Eowyn um, starting to spend time together as from the perspective of the healer who uh, for, uh, they were in his charge. But in the morning, as Faramir came from the houses, he saw her, and she stood upon the walls, and she was clad all in white and gleamed in the sun. And he called to her, and she came down, and they walked on the grass or sat under a green tree together, now in silence, now in speech. And each day after, they did likewise. And the warden, looking from his window, was glad in heart, for he was a healer, and his care was lightened. And certain it was that, heavy as the dread and foreboding of those days upon the hearts of men, still these two of his charges prospered and grew daily in strength. So, I don't know. That's just, I like that they, this description, it's not them talking. So I actually really do like the dialogues between Eowyn and Farmer, like you said, because they're coming from complete opposite perspectives um, Mm -hmm. and then finding some some way to come together um but i like this description of just kind of like it reads as a silent scene to me from a movie where there's just glimpses of them spending time together and i like that it's um i kind of mentioned before like it's the answer to what is healing right for them which is just finding a way to participate in life and to 
value it. So I like it. Yeah, me too. Okay, so next time on ARC, we're looking at Book 6, Chapter 6, Many Partings. Uh, we are going to have a special guest next time, Pip. Oh, really? Yeah, we are. So we'll, we will not spoil the surprise, but uh, we will have another guest on the show for this chapter. Uh, so look forward to that. And we will see you all then.